All right. Hi, everybody. It's our CFP Talk 165. It is Tuesday night, 10 p.m., when we like to talk to you. This is when we talk to you about whatever you want to talk about in college football and take your calls. A lot of stuff going on. It's Tuesday. I see we've got some folks joining us in the audience. Um, of course, with other sports programming, we had a late edition of the college football playoff rankings released. We also have Three different action games going on with Bowling Green leading Toledo. That would actually be a significant upset in that rivalry. Akron's barely leading Eastern Michigan, and Northern Illinois managed to shut out Western Michigan. But that's so much more going on. This has been one hell of a week. I was actually, as I was preparing for tonight, just looking at some of the top conversations over the past week on our CFB. And I mean, it, it just kind of it underlines all the craziness that's been going on. I mean, obviously, Jimbo was fired as Texas A&M. Big Ten Conference, you know, punished Jim Harbaugh by suspending him, uh, at least until, you know, unless pending litigation, until the end of the regular season. Uh, the uh, upset, obviously, the uh, um, part of the, the victories, uh, the upset of UCF over Oklahoma State, Michigan defeating Penn State. And obviously, those were just some of the, the headlines that we saw so far. But I see we have some folks who want to join us, so let's get some conversations rolling here. Let's see, Drew, I saw you... Uh, up first, would love to talk to you. What's going on? All right. So, um, first off, uh, I would just like to say, uh, Penn State. Uh, I'm a Penn State. I go to Penn State. Terrible, terrible. I just don't know when it's going to end. Uh, Jim Jim Franklin is terrible. He he's always been terrible. It just always seems like he's only being kept around just to be good and um, not to be great. And I just think it's. The school's got to call it quits. I, it's when you're a program as historic as Penn State has been. You know, I grew up watching Penn State, and you know, falling in love with it. And then obviously the Joe Pa stuff happened, and uh, school went downhill. And basically Saquon Barkley brought it back just in itself. And now we're supposed to be this team every year that this is finally, finally the year that we get over the hump. We beat University of Michigan. We beat Ohio State, and. Oh man, it's just every year it just seems like the same thing. We just we will always be good but never be great. And I'm surprised that we're even at 12th. You know, I saw LSU just absolutely tear it up. They should be above us. Ole Miss should be above us. Even Oklahoma. I mean, I mean, it's just um I know I was shocked to see us still even in the top 15 after consistently beating getting beaten down by all these upper echelon teams that we're supposed to be competing with every year and we always get hope and and then it's just heartbreak year in and year out and uh, i'm just i'm just so tired of it and we don't even get to play michigan next year i'm from michigan so i had all my my friends from home just just texting me and calling me and making fun of me and uh i just I just have to express my frustration. It is, it's just been nothing but pain for the past four years. I'm a senior now. So this is, I hopefully, hopefully the final, the final year where I can go home to Thanksgiving and rub it in my uncle's face that we finally beat Michigan and they're cheaters. And, but no, didn't happen, man. That is brutal. And it's interesting. The pen, the whole Penn state situation is so is, is kind of, you know, as an observer, uh, you know, objective outside of the, that area it's curious because i i was having a conversation because i i uh i do a another podcast with um uh shehan jay raja for uh advanced media group and we were having a conversation about penn state and 
couple of things kind of strike me. First of all, with Jimbo now done, I'm wondering, is the next heavily paid coach of a program that feels like they should be going up to that next level, uh, is that is that kind of the tension now for James Franklin now that you know Jimbo Fisher's kind of was a much larger bullseye now that he's kind of out of the way? But at the same time, comparing success on the field, I mean, Jimbo didn't do as well as James Franklin did. And it's kind of weird. I, my joke I had immediately sprung to mind after watching what happened with Michigan this past weekend is there would be no more appropriate way to honor James Franklin than building a bronze statue because he always comes in third. Um, but, but at the same time, okay, setting those jokes aside, it almost seems like though Penn State, if they can continue with what they're doing now, and I mean, right now, again, look, as you, as you said, they're number 12. I'm sort of surprised they're number 12. Uh, I don't know. But I don't know where I would have placed them. I think Oregon State, certainly in my mind, and Mizzou are the the stronger two lost teams at this moment. Easily. But I don't know easily. I don't know where I put them with the rest at this point. So, in the playoff universe that we're going to next year, suddenly Penn State might be able to get in. And I don't know. I, again, I don't know if this is necessarily a viable route. Maybe that means Penn State is a continuous first round playoff team. Um, but who knows? Maybe they could also work their way up. Get you know, mixing it up with who they're playing, um, potentially, or, you know, their their usual, you know, cursed games with Michigan and Ohio State. Maybe someone oh, yeah. else will beat them and they'll just get it's to It's probably going to be who Washington. Knows? Washington, or I don't even know, whoever USC has up coming up next after Caleb leaves. But it's, I looked at the schedule and it's just, you know, I have hope because Chip Kelly obviously got is expected to leave out of UCLA and we play UCLA next year. But it's just every year I get my hopes up like, oh, man, like finally. The, and even with the 12, you know, like, yeah, we could be a 12 or an 11 in the playoffs. But then we're just going to get smoked. We're going to get smoked by a team because we'll always be good and never be great. And uh, if we were in the SEC, I guarantee you every year we would be the Texas A&M of the SEC. If we were in the SEC, we can never beat a quality team. And I don't know, like James Franklin, he just fires offensive coordinators every single year, just putting the blame on somebody else other than him. He's a great recruiter. He gets talent here every year. Five-star quarterback, five-star DN, the best tackle in the entire nation. And just nothing, nothing ever. And (laughs) as a Penn State fan, we are all sick of it. We're yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine. You know, um, I just wanted to go ahead and also introduce uh, my co-host tonight. Again, my name is Bob Akairi. I am joined by my fellow colleague, Andrew Sagona. Andrew, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well, Bob Ak. How are you doing? I'm good. There's so much going on. It's, it's kind of wild to, 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 to think about that. But um, I know you were on the call with the, uh, the post- college football ranking show what anything interesting you heard insight coming from Boo Corrigan if uh, at the risk of well basically nothing really last week was a lot more interesting with what they were discussing um, you know last week came down about the whole JMU thing they were filing an appeal uh, there was a lot more moving parts and more interesting questions were asked. But this time, really, the the G5 wasn't really mentioned at all. Uh, Tulane uh, and Liberty, some people are saying, should have been uh, mentioned. Um, but they weren't. 
really the main topic, heck, even Michigan wasn't brought up this time. That was, there were probably three or four questions asked about Michigan last week. Um, none uh, were asked this week. I'd say the biggest thing was why did Georgia go ahead of Ohio State and kind of gave a non-answer. Um, I An interesting question that was asked was why Washington stayed ahead of Florida State. And you mean Washington, Washington, Washington. Uh, yes, sorry. Why Washington? No, sorry. Why Florida State stayed ahead of Washington, right? Um, it's kind of reading in between the lines. It kind of gave the sense that Washington was being dinged for giving up a lot of points recently, as well as having a few close wins against, we'll say, subpar teams like Arizona State. Um, whereas looking at the, he didn't explicitly mention, uh, sorry, Boo B, uh, he meaning uh, Boo Corrigan. Um, basically, looking at Florida State's schedule, they have fewer close wins and more blowout wins than, than Washington does. And basically, it almost seemed like the, the closeness of the Utah game and the Miami game didn't really factor into the decision to keep uh, FSU ahead of Washington. Got it. Interesting. No, that, I, I think a lot of that was one of those curiosities is how um, I could see that. I mean, Washington certainly has had its has had its struggles, and I kind of do tend to understand how they've stayed in that position as the the fifth undefeated team. I mean, it'll work out if they manage to win out, particularly with what looks like a showdown with Oregon. But yeah, that Arizona State game and just simply giving up points as easily as they have, it, it's kind of an interesting. I'm actually really curious with Kalen DeBoer how he looks. After Penix leaves, because these last two seasons, he's had an incredible quarterback and that can make a difference, although not all the difference. I mean, Caleb Williams can only do so much. Right. But Rocky, you've been super patient. And again, for those of you waiting in the queue, I promise I will try to do my best to get to all of you. But what's on your mind, Rocky? Hey, uh, can you hear me? Sure can. Awesome. Cool. Just wanted to make sure I got it right this time. So uh, this is going to be a two part question. First part is, uh, what are your thoughts? Do you see? Neil Brown getting fired from West Virginia this year with an eight and four schedule as he's most likely going to get. Now, if he gets a seven and five, he's done. There's numerous sources that have been like, if he even drops a single another game, he's done. Um, but there's a couple avenues to that. I just wanted to tie on to that. So first off is he's um, right now. He's got a very, the, the biggest reason why he's even still there is his salary is just something that a lot of people don't understand. So just to put this in comparison, Nick Saban has a base salary about 1.1 million. The rest of Nick Saban's salary actually comes from incentives. To put that into perspective, Neil Brown's base salary at West Virginia, regardless of anything else he does, he could literally lose every single game of the year is 4.3 million. So, and this is tied into the uh, athletic director that West Virginia had last year, uh, was fired. He was fired, but he was the one who mostly wrote this contract, which is why so many people are pissed and why he got fired. Essentially, uh, Neil Brown in his contract is if he is fired at any moment, he is entitled to the entire remainder of his salary, 
which uh, currently is somewhere in the 15 million, I believe, somewhere around there. There is a drop, but it doesn't come until January 1st, 2025, at which point his salary, his remaining salary that would take to buy him out is 15, is dropped by 15%. Uh, but the problem is he gets a 15% year raise automatically. So even if you wait till then, he's still going to make even a 15% less, uh, basically the same salary he made for 2022, for the remaining two years. So it's kind of a horrible, horrible contract that West Virginia got tied into with this guy. Uh, what are your thoughts? Do you see him getting fired at four or eight and four, or do you think they'll hang on to it? Right. No, I think that's a, that's a great question. And uh, I, all I was thinking was terrible for the school, but man, that was from that peak. It seemed to be a peak few years that I think I'm curious to see how we come out of it, particularly with whoever replaces Jimbo with coaches, just getting some incredible incentives that, made schools immediately regret it. I mean, Mel Tucker, obviously they were able to get rid of him for totally different reasons, but, but going back to on the field now, I think certainly Neil Brown, I think was one of the hottest seats heading into the season losing at Penn state. Wasn't, I mean, still, I mean, I know obviously we were previously just talking about Penn state. I still think, you know, Penn state's a strong enough team. Number 12 currently in the CFP. I, we all saw that, that unexpected kind of run there where people were like, Oh, I think he's played his way off the hot seat, but that loss to Oklahoma this past weekend, Oklahoma's still a solid team. I mean, it was a blowout loss. That was, I know, disappointing for West Virginia fans. But I agree. If they can win out, I mean, if they beat Cincinnati well, and Baylor. I was and then, say, it's not, it's not just that. It's the fact that he lost He lost to Houston against a team that didn't. That I mean, was a wild was, ending. That was almost like one of those games where you're just like, okay, that happened. But Yeah, but the stats, the, the problem was the stats of the teams. If you looked at it leading into it, there's no reason the game should have ever been that close. I mean, Houston didn't do anything different. In fact, that was the big talk is Houston did not do any plays. They did nothing different than they had done the entire year. Uh, Oklahoma did. I mean, Neil Brown even called them out like they did some stuff we didn't see on tape, which is how dare they. Um, <laughs> you know, but, but I just have to say, it's interesting that you, we are also even talking about Houston because of the two coaches right now, I'd say Dan Holgerson's more in danger of getting fired at this point. I mean, he's gone on record of being kind of like, cavalier about like my buyouts too damn big blah 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 but i wonder if, if houston because right now they're they're miserable right now i mean that losing the cincinnati was completely unexpected and and granted oklahoma state who knows first, <laughs> after what happened yeah with that was their first conference win was against houston which nobody saw that coming yeah so but, uh, i mean I, I but of the two coaches right now at this point in the season i would say because I mean Neil Brown, if he can again, since if he can beat Cincinnati and 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 get, going on the road to Baylor doesn't isn't that much of a challenge this season, and get into a bowl and, and possibly win the bowl, it would be a tougher call. The other thing you always have to factor in too, Jimbo has kind of forced the coaching carousel to to start moving, I think, faster than than oh, it yeah. would typically. Because that that when that shoe dropped, everyone's like, oh crap, we better let all these potential coaches know that we're going to be on the market. So, you know, you see Mississippi State, you see suddenly Brady Hoke announces retiring. Not that that would be a comparable job, but, you know, all of a sudden we're seeing all these coaches free up. Um, which, which that leads into the second question. Who do you think would be better or worse, Jimbo Fisher or Rich Rod at West Virginia? <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> you know, they're, and, both, they're both, bring them, they're both from West Virginia. So it's like... <laughs> I'm always worried about bringing a coach back for a second run. It sometimes works. It certainly sometimes works. I mean, Shiano right now would probably be one of the leading candidates over at what he's pulling off at, at Rutgers on his second tenure. But, 
you know, imagine Rich Rod going back after all these years. That would be that would be something absolutely striking. I, well, I couldn't even basically, imagine. Basically, it's actually kind of funny. I was talking to someone. If you look at the coaching staff of what Rich Rod has, people are like, "Man, Jack stays. They're doing so good." I'm like, "Yeah, they they literally have almost the entire West Virginia 2007 coaching staff." Like he, that's amazing. Yeah. I didn't realize they've stayed together so well. Oh yeah, like I was looking. He's got like if you look at the staff of Jack State right now, it is shockingly similar to the 2007 West Virginia team. Uh, obviously, without um, his offensive coordinator is passed away, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, like it, it, he's got uh, Trickett back. He's got his uh, quarterbacks coach back. Or he's got it is. It is hilarious if you look at the staff of Jack State that Rich Rod has assembled. He has literally almost assembled the entire West Virginia 2007 coaching staff. <laughs> it's hilarious. That's great. Hey, Andrew, I know you wanted to, to chime in really quick. Oh, or maybe maybe not. <laughs> so yeah. let me see. I want to get in a couple of other folks um, who've been really patient. Let's see here. Uh, Ski Mask Smurphy, I'm going to let you up. And again, I see you, Nate. I see you. Well, actually, there's two different Nates. Uh, I see both Nate and I see Colson. We'll try to get to you guys as well. Ski Mask Smurphy, what's going on, man? Oh, nothing much. Just a, another wonderful week of college football. That's insane. I want to talk about... Absolutely. So many storylines. Well, I want to talk about the storyline that uh, the Pack 2 basically sort of won their court case today against the yes. rest of the head. I mean, it is. Well, I, the, the, to be to be clear, because I I love clarifying this stuff only because my own background is an attorney. So they want a preliminary injunction, but it takes a while to win it, and it was a real a lot was at stake. So what does it mean? It means that they were trying to keep the other. They they convinced a trial court judge, and I'll say why that's important. That basically they have a winning argument or one that is likely to prevail, and so therefore this preliminary injunction that they should have control of the Pac-12. Um, rather than the 10 teams that are leaving, has been allowed to, to stay in action. But all of that said, and, and, and the judge isn't an idiot. He knows this is coming. They're going to almost certainly appeal this. And it's not to get too into the weeds of, of legal stuff, uh, but a lot of these decisions are being made as matters of the law. And, and the reason I say that is anytime a judge makes a, a judge, like a judge makes a judgment call, but a judge makes a decision that's purely on law, not like facts. It can be appealed, and there's so much money at stake here that I, I think we're good for now. But I, I'm not going to necessarily announce that the Ewoks just blew up the Death Star, or, or or just I don't know. That's not quite. It. They pushed out the Imperial, like they freed Endor or anything like that. Not that the Pac-12 is Endor, but it's going to be interesting, and it's certainly it, it's a good it's a good stage for Oregon State and Wazoo. I think we're going to see a lot of negotiation there. I think it sounds like, for example, with the whole they were willing to to kind of be open to the, the change of the playoff structure from uh, six plus six to five to seven, where it would be five conference champs plus six at large, probably seven at large teams, five and seven split uh, because they're apparently it sounds like the CFP is willing to make sure they get a fair cut of what they would have been getting um, had the PAC 12 still been together. Um, so basically uh, some of this may also be just negotiation tactics to make sure they get a fair shot of money. Um, the judge definitely sent a warning, which I don't think is going to need to be enforced to Wazoo and Oregon State saying that if we get a hint that you guys are not playing fair with the other 10, I will I will end this preliminary injunction. So it's, it's an interesting stage. I would I just want to be clear for those listening that it wasn't like, oh, wow, they, the, the Tupac has won. You know, they're going to be running away with it. It was more like a good, healthy step in this process. 
Yeah, from from what I gathered from watching a bit of the case and little people some, some summarizing what happened is that basically the judge said they can't take basically their yearly revenue of half a billion dollars and keep it all for the two. They still have to split it fairly amongst the rest, but the big thing was like basically the rest of schools can still show up to every Pac-12 meeting, but only Oregon and Washington State can actually vote on what's happening. So I think that's really all they wanted. Just basically, he looked over their contract and was like, yeah, you guys basically signed this. And all of you leaving just basically allowed this to happen very easily. I really want to know what that's going to be like in person. Like the, the, the other 10 representatives just sitting in the room, like kind of every time a vote comes up, are they going to be kind of like staring at them and kind of like doing a smile or a frown just to see how they react to, uh, to those results? I don't know. I, I'd be curious to see how that works in practice. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. But good for them. I mean, you know, it's going to be interesting to see because, I mean, what one thing this this will potentially open up is the the, because we're all waiting for that next wave of of basically G5 realignment because the Pac-12 is going to need more members. Is it going to be an autonomous pair of teams that are going to eventually merge with others? Are they going to make an agreement with the Mountain West? Are they going to just bring people from the Mountain West? Uh, I'm very curious to see how this plays out. So one of the nice, I guess, or one of the 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 things that are going to come from this decision is it may allow the the next moves to start to happen because I'm sure, especially in the background, there's been a fair amount of conversation about, okay, what's next for the, the Oregon state wazoo and how, I mean, presumably how's the mountain West going to work into that? Yeah, absolutely. So let's see here. I want to also, let's see, I want, uh, I saw Nate, I'm going to try and get to all, well, one of the Nates, pardon me, uh, Nate Adolfi, um, What's going on, Nate? How are hey, you? I'm good. I'm just watching some uh, action on Tuesday. Akron, East Michigan went to overtime, so it helped me hit the over. So I'm happy about that. Um, yeah, there's. Are they still going? I know they were in double overtime last I checked. Uh, double overtime. Exciting game. Man. Yeah, Eastern Michigan has the ball right now. Uh, they're down three to get to Akron. Man, and I know Bowling Green is the Toledo's closed their lead, but. Bowling Green still has a lead over Toledo. And that's, again, that's a big one because Toledo was kind of still an outside chance of being a New Year's Six team, only because 9-1, and one, undefeated in the MAC. Probably unlikely, only because there are a lot of other teams ahead of them uh, in that G5. And, and obviously Tulane is a leading candidate right now. But, uh, but yeah, so there is some interest in how that Toledo game works out tonight as well. But what's on your mind? So I've got two questions. I think they're kind of long, so I'll just I'll try to I'll ask my main one. But if uh, Jimbo Fisher and AM gets brought up, I'd love to chime in later on. Um, but my main question is about my Texas Longhorns. Um, so I, I keep getting nervous every week with these rankings. Uh, we stayed at seven above Alabama, um, but um, what's going to happen if? you know, we keep playing these games really close because as a, if I was a Bama fan, I'd, I'd be a little frustrated because, you know, they beat up Kentucky last week. They beat up LSU like before that, who, who's ranked. Um, is the committee just going to keep putting us ahead of them because of um, the head to head back in week two, even though I, I, I've got to admit, I mean, they're Alabama's playing a lot better than Texas is right now. Um, and also, uh, Andrew, he did mention how they put uh, Florida State above Washington because Washington had a bunch of close games that they shouldn't have. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of curious of why 
why is Texas? Why are we, you know, still above Alabama? Well, I'll let you start that one, Andrew. I know you're 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 ready to jump in there. Yeah, so that that is something that they touched on briefly in the call. Um, Texas, Alabama. And it's they're saying that Alabama is essentially it, it almost seems like it's just residual of um Texas beating Alabama in that head-to-head and then Alabama kind of having a bit of a downtime the past few weeks. Um, But he did admit that Alabama seems to be closing the gap a bit now that they're playing a bit stronger. Um, So, I mean, I don't know, a few more weeks of, and this is just speculation on my part, but who knows, a few more weeks of Alabama doing consistently well, um, they may end up jumping Alabama. Um, but for right now, it just seems they're kind of keeping it in a holding pattern uh, because they haven't seen enough of a trend of Alabama to stay ahead of, uh, to go ahead of Texas. Well, you know, I just have to say, to me, that's almost absurd because Alabama is playing stronger at the moment. But Going back to to what what Nate was kind of thinking there, I think Alabama can can kind of rest only be I mean, not rest, pardon me, but they they shouldn't stress out because if they win out, they're they're absolutely first of all they're going to be in the playoffs. Second of all, I think they'll probably jump most of the teams um, because the to go through and showing the strength they've had, especially now that Milrow, that now that they've I mean, again, I I personally am. You, I just I'm in awe of how Nick Saban's got this team turned around compared to what we saw after the loss to Texas after the USF game that now they've seemed to have adapted on the fly with Tommy Reese and obviously figuring out an offense that takes advantage of Milrow and letting Milrow be his own, you know, his own style of quarterback play. So they are terrifying. And if they can get through and then beat, because obviously now they're locked into the, the the SEC championship game. And I'm not, I'm not giving, you know, Chattanooga, even though, hey, you know, FCS number 18, I'm not giving them much of a chance. Auburn, this is probably not their year, although crazier things have happened. Uh, I think that that Georgia game is going to make a, a huge impact in, in where they land. Because if they win out, they're absolutely in. Um, uh, and, and for that reason, I think, to some extent, the te- the comparison with Texas right now, it's a little awkward because of, you know, it seems to be resting almost entirely on that head-to-head, especially, as you've said, they've had these come from, behind, you know, the, these come from behind, or pardon me, not come from behind, but allowing teams to get back into it. Houston, Kansas State, and then that TCU game where, again, all of them seem like they were put out of the way, and then for some reason, Texas just decides to, to I don't know, almost defeat themselves. So, I, I'm a little worried about this Iowa State game, I'm a, but I'm not over. I think some folks want to oversell that game. Like, oh, it's going to be cold. It's going to be, it's going to be, you know, a night game in Ames. And I, yes, Ames has a history of, of eating up teams that are highly ranked that go in there and just get surprised um, by That's what happens. Conference champs go to die. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it is feasible. And Texas Tech is obviously going to give their best uh, you know, their best punch, although they're kind of unpredictable this season. But I just, first of all, the Big 12 is probably one of the more fun races because I believe there is a way. Um, and unfortunately, uh, West Virginia isn't part of this, but there is a way for like seven of the teams to finish six and three. I mean, there Not is true. a route. For, 
Not sure if someone actually found a way that if every home team for the rest of the year wins, it's an eight-way tie for first That place would be magnificent. Could if, you imagine? Like yeah, I, every I, team not, with not, a okay, home you're a Texas fan. No, that wouldn't be magnificent. <laughs> but you know, for the rest of us, it'd be like, hell yeah. You know, I mean that would be that would be the greatest swan song for this weird 14 team one year only of a lineup. I mean, that would be that would be a hell of a thing. Oh my goodness. But uh yeah, I mean, because right now, I mean, isn't that the big thing? They're still trying to figure out what the tiebreaker is to get people into the title game. I mean, they're apparently gonna clarify it uh and, and they're gonna say head to head is still gonna matter. But this is at this point, it kind of, you know, Oklahoma fans I know are not thrilled with this because it would benefit Oklahoma State because they have a head-to-head with, uh, with Oklahoma. So, I mean, the Big 12 is going to be pure entertainment for the end of the season, for the next couple of weeks, um, especially if you're into just a plethora of scenarios because, you can, I mean, that's the crazy thing. Iowa State could play their way in if they win out. There's a theoretical way that Iowa State could be in the uh, the Big 12 title game, which would be a miracle in of itself, considering how they lost players before the season because of a gambling scandal. One that I'm surprised didn't get more play, not because I'm I'm like you know trying to be sanctimonious about the the fact that the players at uh, at Iowa and Iowa State got in trouble, but just because it's such a crazy story, it's never really happened before that we've seen that many players kind of get disqualified before the season. But yeah, Texas, I I think. Again, but the thing is, going back to Texas, if they went out, it, it's going to be a, a weird thing to say that they wouldn't get in. I mean, you just have to be in the top four. Who cares how you get there, you know? So I, I wouldn't be too overly worried about, you know, where Alabama chomping at their heels. I agree if they went out, they'll probably get higher, but I think there would be room for the Big 12 champ if it were Texas. I think at this point it can only be Texas to get someone in there. Yeah, I put um, the. I, I guess you're right about the whole thing about if Alabama wins, it, it doesn't really matter about us anyway. So, I get that. Um, unfortunately for my Florida State fan, I'm I'm hoping the Gators can do something Thanksgiving weekend. I think that's the best shot to kind of help Texas to get in. But we'll see. There's, I mean, there's only two three games left for most teams, but we'll we'll see how it pans out. It is. I think this is turning. I'm I'm I, I hate saying this, but I'm kind of voting rooting for someone awkwardly. To, to get left out, not because I don't care which team it is, only because I think it would be a great segue for the 12-team playoff next season. Because suddenly it's like, isn't it great we won't have to deal with this nonsense? <laughs> you know, I, especially, can you imagine if we were still in the BCS system this late in the season with five undefeated teams? It would be, I mean, it would just drive people absolutely bonkers. And uh, sending letters to senators and congressmen and women, all, all that. Oh, Try yeah. The su- Supreme Court to overturn it. <laughs> Yeah, and you'd, you'd get the Liberty people still, you know, I mean, I, I, don't get me wrong. I mean, not trying to disrespect Liberty, but their their schedule is absolute garbage. So even though they're undefeated, we're kind of like, okay, cool, cool, Liberty. It's great. We know you're out there. But uh, yeah, no, no one's no one can really take you seriously because no one to be. Unfortunately for them, no one, you know, they're having a hard time getting anyone in the P5 to play them, um, especially since they, you know, if you win, to, if you beat them, not that great. If you lose to them, you, you lost Liberty. Um, and I mean, they, they've locked in their conference USA title game and it's going to be a rematch with New Mexico state, which by the way, is kind of a cute thing only because there were two seasons where New Mexico state and Liberty both were independent. They were desperate to fill other schedules. So they agreed between them to play each other twice a year in a home and home series just to fill out their schedules. So now they're going to play another, you know, uh, two, twice in one season, except it's because the first time we were at a regular season conference game. And the final time is going to be a conference title game. So if you're into those kinds of little stories, I always thought that was kind of a cute one. But uh, 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'd love to let someone else up here too, because I'm trying to allow folks a chance to see here. I'm going to let up our other Nate, our Georgia fan Nate, and and again, um, Eastern Michigan scored a touchdown, so they won in double overtime. So good for. I know they're the Eagles, but I always want to call them the Emus. Damn it! And uh, and we still got a good game with Toledo and Bowling Green. But Nate, what's going on? How are you? Good, Bob. <clears throat> Everything's cool, man. Thanks for uh, letting me talk. Uh, good to hear from you. Um, a lot of different things going on, obviously, in college football. Figured I'd jump in and just, uh, you know, stir up a couple different topics, see where you wanted to go with it. But um, I would say the first thing would be um, the game this weekend, uh, when you're looking at matchups, obviously, you know, the Georgia-Tennessee game is a big one. But I would say that Oregon State, um, Washington game is probably the most important because, you know, Oregon State is favored to win. And if they do end up winning at home versus Washington, it just opens up a huge door for um, the scenario that we've all been talking about here, like the last 10 minutes, which is these one, these one loss teams. And then you go to the uh, conference championship games. You know, what does that equate to um, as we look at the last couple games of the season, then conference, conference championship games. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is if Washington ends up losing and then you have the one and one or one loss with Oregon, one loss with Washington, and they play each other, um, does that automatically change the outcomes of what happens with the other conference championships and then how we look at who gets into the playoffs? So I got a couple other different <laughs> different topics to talk about, but I think that that's one of the most intriguing things only because you have an Oregon State team that's favored to beat the undefeated Washington team. And I just think that that'll be the game that I'm most intrigued with, obviously with Georgia and Tennessee. But um, when you look at the rest of the college football slate throughout the uh, weekend, um, I would say those are the two most intriguing matchups. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you brought up something interesting because, yeah, Oregon State has the opportunity to be the ultimate spoiler, at least in terms of teams with a shot at the college football playoff because their final two games are – hosting Washington and then playing Oregon and what used to be called the civil war. But uh, if they, and they're not a bad team, so they could, if they split that or if they, gosh, could you imagine? Cause I 1967, the giant killers of Oregon state is one of the most fascinating teams. They, they were, you know, mixed results, but they knocked off some of the best teams in the country at two point. They knocked off at least two top 10 teams, including the eventual national championship USC um, so, I mean, Oregon State, I always think of that. The giant, the ultimate giant killers, the historic giant killers have been the Beavs. So they have that opportunity. Now, if, if they beat Washington, let's say, and then, uh, and then you know, they don't necessarily succeed against Oregon because I think Oregon right now is especially, the, in my opinion, one of the most complete teams right now. I mean, they lost to Washington based on a, a, a coaching gamble that has been critiqued. But, you know, sometimes you go on fourth down and you get it and you seem like a genius. But um, going back to that... I think Oregon would be the stronger of the two. At that point, it would probably leave Oregon as the only team in the Pac-12 with a strong chance of, of fighting their way into the Pac-12. Because I think, based on what we've seen from the committee, they like to see how teams have been trending, how they do on the field. And Oregon has been, to a lot of folks, the stronger program, especially since the, um, since the Washington game. So if they manage to win out and Washington loses one and they still meet in the title game, I think... I think Oregon would have a better shot now if, you know, Washington loses. Well, if Washington loses and then beats Oregon, I think I'd be a little bit more nervous about that result. I could see 
they're being put, I mean, there's so many ifs here, like depending on how the other co conferences work out. Um, I think they would have the weaker record only because they've had so many of these oddball games. I, you know, a lot of people didn't stay up for that Arizona state game, but that Arizona state game, you know, it's okay for a, a great quarterback to have an off game, but Penix had a terrible game, or at least for him. And the only real score, the, the, the critical score was a pick six. That was how Washington managed to win that game. And then they get into a firefight with the USC, which is, I think, understandable because, again, Caleb Williams is still a great player. The rest of the team, eh. But, I mean, you know, so they can put up points. I think at this point, though, so, again, going back to that scenario, keep hammering that home, I think if Washington were to lose one, the, the, the chance the Pac-12 would have to get in the conference title, pardon me, to get into the college football playoff would be Oregon winning out. Um, but what, yeah. So what, 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 uh, what was the other game we were talking about? I apologize. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a circle of discussion always every year, you know, whenever you think back to this and I, I it's funny you bring up the BCS. I remember doing this with friends in, um, some of our, um, you know, we have a bunch of different chats that I do college football with and whatever. And we, it, it feels like it's always like this, whether you're BCS or college football playoffs, like you always have right around this time, you get closer to rivalry weekend. Um, it, it's like, I remember doing this back and forth for so many years, really. Um, Cause there's always, there's always those scenarios where it's like, well, if this team does this, this team does this. And then you got five or six teams going in a uh, couple are undefeated couple are with one loss who, who gets in, who doesn't uh, just, it, it's always the conversation every single year is, I guess what I'm saying. Um, uh, we, we could do this all, all night. Um, one other thing that I wanted to ask you though, specifically <clears throat> is the, um, the Jimbo thing. And I know that that got brought up earlier. So I figured it'd be a good topic. Um, sounds like everybody's kind of interested in it. Um, knowing, I, I think I read this article that said that they already kind of knew that Jimbo was going to get termed, uh, before the Mississippi state game that happened this past weekend. Um, so I guess my question is if they knew what they wanted to do and granted they, they, you know, they absolutely, you know, demolished Mississippi state, but they already knew they wanted to get rid of Jimbo. Do you feel like they already have somebody or maybe two people that they're really, um, keyed in on and, and want to make a move with, or do we feel like they, they made the move because, you know, boosters, you know, they had their vote and then they all had their meeting and then, you know, next move is, okay, well, we're going to make the announcement whether, you know, we win or lose against Mississippi State. It's, it's uh, regardless of that. And um, then we go and uh, jump into the vetting process. When you're dealing with the program as high profile as, you know, Texas A&M is, um, especially with the contract they have with Jimbo, wouldn't you think that they would have some some already um, big time candidates vetted out, and they're ready to make a move? And we'll probably hear something sooner than later. Or do you really think it's just a result of, hey, we're we're kind of tired of what we've been seeing, and so yeah. um, we're going to make the move, and then we're going to look around? Yeah. You know, I've heard a lot of mixed thoughts on this because, and and they all have a certain level of credibility. I mean. My initial thought was like yours, like they must have somebody ready to go um, if you're doing this when you do. But I've also heard the thought that, you know, OK, if Jimbo starts winning more, we're going to be in a more awkward position. You know, he has a winnable final couple of games if he wins out and then, you know, goes to the bowl and potentially wins. This is going to be a really painful you know, termination. So let's just get rid of him now. The other side is, you know, again, you need to get ahead of it anyway with such a uh, uh, with such a large um Pardon me, with such a with with the college football schedule the way it is, 
you have to get someone in place before, you know, for the transfer portal, for recruiting classes. You need to get them even earlier than you used to. Um, and is that playing a part in it? And, you know, because, I mean, some of the names being thrown out there, I mean, obviously, you know, Mike Alco, et cetera. But you also hear, like, my favorite outlandish one is Dan Campbell keeps coming up. And it's like, oh, yeah, you're not going to wait until the end of the, uh, the, the NFL season. There's just no way. I remember I've heard this dog and pony show before. I remember when Mike Riley, when he was the Chargers head coach, was a candidate for the USC job and they were desperate to get him. And he was like, I can't just, I can't just leave the chargers. I'm sure he said golly or something. Cause he's such a nice guy, but you know, I, he, you know, you just can't realistically do that. My, my favorite suggestion was Dan Campbell should quietly try to head, be the coach, accept the Texas A&M job if they offer it to him and still coach the lions and not tell the lions and not really tell, like, I'd love to see a head coach try to pull that off. Like there's no, there's no rule that says you can't coach a college football team. And, I, and a, so <laughs> yeah, not to cut you off, but there's really rumors that Dan Campbell would be a consideration for that job. I have not seen that. They're That's almost really like, funny you always get these crazy <laughs> ideas. I mean, every time for the, all those times USC's head coach came open, there would always be like, Oh, well, they're going to get so-and-so from the NFL. And it's like, he's still employed there. You know? I mean, it's like, what, why on earth would they leave with some of these guys? But yeah, no, that, that to me is, one of the most outlandish ones second most outlandish only because it wouldn't involve leaving a successful an nfl team that's actually doing okay right now would be like Deion sanders that would be such a mismatch i mean on sports writing would be hilarious for the foreseeable future if that were to occur it would be such a cultural mismatch but um but again no realistically no hey you know i know a couple of hands have gone up as we've been doing this ski masks murphy your hand was up and nate your hand was up and then again i want to get to, to colson who's been super patient as well Okay, <laughs> the most ridiculous thing would be a NFL coach who's currently seven and two leading his division to lead for a college football program. Midseason would be crazy. But the other name I heard that people have also asked Dabo Sweeney if he's thinking about taking the Texas A&M job, and I think he had the best response out of anyone who I've seen. Which his response was simply, "It must be November," because this is when almost every college coach gets fired, and all the rumors start swirling, and we've been seeing. You know, it's, as some people call it, flight tracking season, where they're trying to see where the coaches are moving to. Yes. I think a common one I've seen with Jimbo is that he's going to Oregon, which would also be insane considering they're currently winning. How are they going to get rid of their coach unless he's going to be a coordinator? But, yeah, but I don't think he's here. But the guy, like the first guy who came up and commented about James Franklin and him leaving Penn State, it would be crazy for them to fire him because then that would be like between two coaches – being fired this season, James Franklin and Jimbo, you would already be like near $150 million in buyouts. So that would that would just be too much money being thrown around. Something with college football would break at that point. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I'm very curious to see how the next round of these contracts gets negotiated, only because once it's, school gets burned on one of these, it's like, what are we getting ourselves into? Nate, I know you wanted to add something here. Oh, I, I thought this whole situation has just kind of been very awkward and weird because I understand that they made it the decision on Thursday, but to still have Awk- awkward and weird involving Texas A and M, they're never known for <laughs> things. Like I mean, that. I have a Sorry. lot of Aggie friends, and we've actually like tried to will this into happening. And so it was the weirdest part was you know you wake up Sunday morning and they won fifty two to ten, and it's like oh he's gone like that. I don't that it was just the weirdest thing for me. But again, kind of what like uh, Nate was also saying. It's I mean yeah it's. I feel like they had to have had somebody in mind already, but everyone that's been thrown out has been, it just, I don't know, not many good fits. However, of Mike Norvell at Florida State being asked that, 
And the video is he never really denies it. And at first you'd be like, why would he leave Florida State? They're 10-0 and that kind of stuff. But, it, you know, I know Florida State has had a lot of frustrations about being in the ACC and not getting the same amount of money. And, you know, maybe the recruiting is not as good at, at, at Florida State as he could potentially get at, at A&M. So, I don't know. I, I, it's, I think it's a long shot, but there's another weird, you know, coaching name that has come up from, you know, from, yeah. my, from my realm. Yeah, I've, I've seen him pop up a few times. And for that very reason, it's like, well... Texas A&M is still able to pay crazy money, and and Norvell has done it. But at the same time, you know, he did great work at obviously Memphis and now FSU. But now the the counter argument is he's now finally got FSU to wear their back, and certainly the Knolls, you know, they can support a coach, um, and they can build something for him there. I think the, the whole reason they got Jimbo away is he was getting kind of burned out. And, and tired of being at Florida State and, you know, the, the constant pressure. And he figured, well, why don't I step it up? And we, you see that sometimes. I mean, we saw that with, um, oh, my gosh, uh, Brian Kelly to some extent, maybe Lincoln Riley. They're like, you know, I, I feel kind of stagnant where I'm at. Let's mix it up. That's the only reason why I kind of was interested with the Dabo one. But I'm always wary of what coaches say. I mean, Dan Lanning's come up, I mean, with Oregon. And when asked about it, you know, he, he did. He kind of went through the motions. He went a little extra. He, not only did he say, like, everyone, you know, uh, uh, he talked, brought up his kids and said, I've got a, you know, three kids and extremely well compensated and supported here. There's no motivation for me to go anywhere. I think that part made it a little bit more. It's like, wow, you know, co- coaches typically do like to say these things, but at the same time, um, he seemed to be more serious. But how many times have we heard coaches sound like that? And then they're the, they're the one to move over. So um, I think we're all very much looking forward to seeing how A&M handles this and if they've had someone who's been ready to go. Um, I was going to say, someone find the clip of Nick Saban when he was at the Dolphins saying he's not going to Alabama. Yeah, yeah, or, <laughs> or, yeah, or all the conversations about correct. pine boxes when it seemed like Lane Kiffin might go to Auburn. You know, I mean, we're going back to the last time a coach said that and ended up at Auburn. But uh, Ski Best Murphy, I know your hand was up for a sec. I, I, I know you wanted to add something. I think we actually moved on a little quick on you. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to add Austin. This whole coaching carousel nightmare is also Chip Kelly's name is being thrown around as being fired by UCLA after the game. So yep. this would just – this would – these two fires would create enough chaos. So it seems like these people have these things decided, but I don't know who they're bringing in behind these guys. Yeah, Chip Kelly's an interesting one too. The only reason why I kind of it's made some sense is they've been disappointed with where they're going. They 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 just seem not to they haven't been able to capture what he was able to get done at Oregon. And they're about to go into the Big Ten. And unlike, you know, Oregon and Washington, they're getting the full Big Ten money. So they, they seem to have you UCLA, by the way, not to go not to re rehash all of this, but when USC and UCLA announced they were moving to the Big Ten, there were two different reasons here. USC was always annoyed because they felt like they should get more money because they were the biggest name. Um, historically, and, and certainly in the TV market in the uh, in the Pac-12. So they moved. UCLA was kind of brought along because A, they needed a partner, but B, UCLA financially was desperate because they've always been willing to pay a lot, but they don't have the same level of, of you know support and income that some of the other programs do. So that was, they, they were basically bailing their own program out um, financially. So now they have more money to potentially, you know, Instead to, to to spend and, and it maybe they'll bring someone else in. I just have to acknowledge that my favorite comment on RCFB on the actual uh, Reddit site was when they when this again it was a uh, um, BRO the the Bruin Report online uh, which is one of those big uh, 
UCLA sites is the one that announced that it seems very likely UCLA will fire Chip Kelly, according to many sources. My favorite comment was by user FSUNOL77. He suggested that Chip Kelly and Jimbo Fisher should start a podcast, Fish and Chips. And first of all, that name is awesome. Second of all, um, fun ch- Texas fan, Lunch Crunch Grinch. Uh, again, it's always fun to have to read these usernames. Um, at the end of every podcast, they could calculate how much money AM paid Jimbo while he was recording. You know, this podcast was brought to you by a generous $20,000 donation, $20, donation by Texas AM Athletics. But that was one of those humorous moments that I just had to share. You know, Nate, I see your hand up. Yeah, um, just quickly. I think the biggest name that makes kind of sense, and I'm not even saying it, that it does because the resume isn't really there. It's almost like a worse Jimbo Fisher uh, chance because obviously Jimbo came from a winning program at FSU, getting a national championship, and then um, made the big splash with the contract. But the Mike Elko thing, because he was a D- DC um, at um, Texas uh, A&M, do you feel like that's the reason his name's getting brought up? Or, you know, he brought some success to Duke. Not not great success, but more success than Duke's ever seen in football for the longest that I would say people can remember. Um, do we feel like he's the front runner or who do you feel like may be the front runner, like a top three and is Mike Elko kind of being brought up because of those reasons, uh, with his connections to A&M, man, that's a great question because, you know, Elko does come up a lot, partly because he's there, partly because he's won in so many different places. Um, you know, he's been, you know, obviously at A&M, he, you know, he, he's an Ivy league guy himself. He was, he, he played at Penn, not Penn state. Um, you know, so he, he's had a background. He's apparently just a, a down-to-earth guy in terms of coaching. And, and a lot of that, he seems naturally to be a, a culture fit there. I mean, that's why, you know, a complete joke, I was suggesting Dion would be a terrible hire for that reason. Dan Lanning would also be in there because, again, I know he brought up his kids. I know he's saying, like, he's really happy there, but he's an SEC guy, obviously, with Kirby and has been a successful coach, and he's proven what he can do at Oregon. And Oregon, you know, thanks to Phil Knight, certainly has the the – better facilities and and facilities that can keep it, you know, keep it competitive when it moves to the big 10, but they're also only going to get a portion of what USC and UCLA are getting from joining the big 10 going to an sec school. First of all, he knows the area. I mean, he knows the, the, the conference and he might be a good fit. I, the third one, I don't know. It's so hard. I'm almost thinking we're going to get a, I'm wondering if we're going to get a wild card. I mean, if we're going also just based on pure who might be a good fit and would be a long-term guy there, assuming they work out, but wouldn't, because that's the thing, like, do you want to win in the press conference? Like you announced some crazy hire, like Jimbo Fisher when they announced him, or are you going to go with somebody who might be a more natural fit, especially for a top Texas school? I I do like the idea of Jeff Trailer, the UTSA head coach. He's just a super coach by all accounts, Texas through and through, so successful as a high school coach. And then, you know, translated that into success at the college level and UTSA, has done well, and I mean, even the, the the handful of losses they got this season were because, again, they were out their best player. Um, so I wonder he would be an interesting one because you know suddenly that might give a And M an edge in the state of Texas, which is such a talent hotbed, but also have someone who can coach and be a, he'd be a long term hire if he worked out. But I'm not sure if that's another direction they'd go. So my three there would be those guys, but I know very well that that could be completely wrong. Going back to Elko though. You know, last to me, I always think of the last head coach. I well, not the last head coach, but the head coach I think of, who was successful at a, you know at Duke, 
And granted, didn't make Duke a national title contender, but that was enough to get hired elsewhere with Steve Spurrier. I mean, that's where, how, where Florida got him from. You know, obviously he was like Elko, who with Texas a he was a he was also had, you know, he had strong connections to the Florida program. But, you know, that was another guy who proved that he could win at Duke and, and managed to, to make that leap. You know, I want to let in another voice because I see Colson, uh, you've been super patient. What's on your mind, man? Hey, how's it going? How are y'all doing? Great. And so I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Kansas State, man. Uh, it just feels like it's been kind of one of those what-if seasons because uh, they're sitting at 7-3 and three right now, which by all means is not bad uh, coming off of a Big 12 uh, conference championship. But the three losses, going to go through them real quick. On the road at Missouri, who's top 10 now in the CFP rankings, on a 62-yard field goal by Harrison Meavis on the road, that one feels especially gut-wrenching. Um, go on the road to Stillwater in a night game on a Friday night. Really weird voodoo vibes. Um, and at the time, nobody thought uh, Oklahoma State was really going to be any good. This was, you know. They were on a two-game two, two losing streak. They, they lost, were two they game blown losing out streak. by South Alabama and lost at Iowa State. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the team just went in there and kind of crapped all over themselves. Will Howard threw three interceptions. And they couldn't dig themselves out of that hole. And then the Texas game, uh, they got down and out early. Try, they tried to uh, commit to the run game, and Texas's defense was just too good. Uh, they were just destroying the run game. And in the second half, they got some turnovers, figured out that they could air it out a little more and got the offense going. And then there was just some questionable decision-making there at the end in the overtime to – Go for it on fourth and down, uh, fourth and goal from the five yard line when you can tie it up and you, you really had Malik Murphy just kind of scrambling all over the place. Really, were shutting him down in the second half and in overtime. I really wish they had taken the three there and taken it to a second overtime, but I'm not the head coach. Um, and the other frustration is with this whole tiebreaker scenario in the Big 12 because, um, you know, with the whole uh, tiebreaker situation, you had uh, if OU, OSU, and Texas and K State had all won out, uh, you would actually have a three-way tiebreak for the second spot in Arlington, which K State would come out on top because of the way the rules were wit- written. Uh, K State and OU not playing each other, it would default to the highest-ranked Big Twelve team that all three of the tie-breaking teams played which in that scenario would be Iowa State. And I don't remember exactly the exact combination of how that plays out, but basically K-State would have gotten in second. Well, now, um, this afternoon, the Big 12 said they made a correction. I'm not really sure if it was a correction. I almost think they changed the rules um, midseason, which is a whole other thing. Now, obviously, I think Oklahoma State would deserve to be in there since they beat both K-State and Oklahoma. But it's a whole other thing to change the rules in the middle of the season. That seems kind of fishy to me. But, um, you know, just kind of venting the frustration here because the season could have been a lot better. Yeah, and I, I just want to say, to be fair, a lot K-State fans aren't the only ones upset about this. Because, I mean, the, this so-called quote-unquote clarification of the tiebreaker rules is also, I know, angering Oklahoma fans as well. Because it, the way it, it seems like they're shifting the way it's going to work um, and, and even then, who knows, I'm going to see how they clarify it, but this is just such a mess. And as I mentioned earlier, this, this whole, this whole situation with the end of the, the big 12, I mean, it is granted 
only one team in all of this group really has a shot of, of going beyond to like the CFP, but just from a sheer entertainment standpoint, this is so confusing. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's very confusing. And um, another point that I'd like to make is um, for all the teams and what's the so-called hateful eight, you know, the eight teams that um, are left from the original big 12 minus Texas and OU um, you know, a lot of those teams really don't want to see a Texas and OU conference championship game as the last season where they're in the conference. That would just give them the eternal scoreboard. And what this new scenario brings in, if the clarification goes the way everybody thinks it's going to, if OU, if OSU drops another game to Houston or BYU, or uh, I think that it's Houston and Cincinnati, I can't remember which two they play. I know they play Houston. I can't remember their other game, but uh, if they drop a game and everybody else uh, who's supposed to win wins, uh, we would have a Texas and OU Big 12 championship game. And uh, I don't think anybody from the Hateful Eight wants that. And uh, it would all be because OSU raised the stink about the tiebreak. That's interesting. Yeah, so um, Oklahoma State's final two games are at Houston and BYU, which are both winnable, especially with the state of, of Houston and um, BYU is, is unpredictable, and when they're away from BYU this season, they're not quite as good. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm curious to see. And again, as as came as it came up, and I know I think Rocky dropped this in our replies that uh, Max Olson over at the Athletic has worked out a, a way where um, if every home team wins this week, there's a scenario where the Big Twelve ends up with an eight-team tie for first place, which would be absolutely spectacular for those of us. Who are not who do not have a horse in this race? Um, <laughs> but uh, Nate, I see your hand up. Yeah, um, just trying to segue a little bit more to um, you know some of the other stories that are going on. Not to say that this isn't important, but you know just just giving uh, some other <laughs> some other uh, interest to some other stuff too. What did you think of Sharon Moore's? comments after the michigan uh victory did i mean i i would i would i would actually like to hear from all the speakers in like a 20 second synopsis i i i thought it was one of the weirdest dumbest most cringe things i've ever seen in college football the last 25 years a, a, a guy sitting there bawling crying and saying stuff that is just so dumb and and not even matching the what happened and and why it happened with Harbaugh getting, you know, removed from the sideline. And I thought it was just the weirdest thing. I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. When I was watching it, I was like, is this real? Like, <laughs> did that guy go do like some drugs? And then it, it caused him to start crying on, on national television. It, I thought it was the weirdest, saddest thing that I've seen in a while crying because your head coach got caught cheating Dude, I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say, Bob, and I would love to hear what everybody else has to say. Uh, I definitely see some hands up. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I my thought on this, I, I, I actually don't mind. I, I, I get why people are passionate. It's a passionate sport. You know, I, I saw in my mind, like, they one thing that I will give Michigan is their ability to just keep the outside stuff away from the team in the sense that they seem focused. They were focused. They are willing to, I mean, they're willing to apparently run the ball 32 times in a row, but the, um, you know, they, they are willing to just, they're able to, to keep out all the outside noise. And to an extent, I can imagine that is heavily reliant on the coaching staff. 
So not just Harbaugh, but Sharon Moore, Jesse Minter, Jay Harbaugh, uh, Mike Hart, the whole, the the whole, you know, the whole team over there. And now that that game was over, I wonder if we just saw all of that pent up, like we're focused, we're, we're you know, we're going to win this game, coming out all at once, and a lot of emotion. And they clearly like each other enough, or at least respect each other enough in that program that we saw that kind of that that outpouring at the end. And I don't mind that. I don't mind when coaches get a little passionate. I love it. I I mean earlier in the season with Ryan Day kind of cutting an NFL probably a WWE promo after the uh after the Notre Dame game, challenging uh not challenging the Corso, but certainly making that spicy. I mean I don't mind that stuff, but I could see where people uh feel that. You know, I'm gonna get to and I saw we had a couple of new hands. And as, as a couple of requests, but Ski Master Murphy, I saw your hand up first, but I promise to get to you, Nate Colson, and we'll get to the water boy and John. I would first like to clarify that our coach wasn't caught doing any kind of cheating. It was a member of the staff who was caught cheating, so we got to clarify that. Secondly, you know, it's nothing wrong with seeing a man express emotion for another man that he loves. But, you know, even as a Michigan fan, I have to say, if you were not aware of anything going on in college football, if you watched that, you thought Jim Harbaugh either died or was actually arrested. It, it, it wasn't a good look. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, I no, mean, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mean, the Michigan versus the world thing is cute and everything, but I, and wait, wait, I just, I have to acknowledge the fact that, uh, you know, also, you know, he's, Harbaugh said Michigan should be America's team. Because it has been through adversity and criticism and the naysayers. And, you know, again, Michigan fans, I think, are, are also self-aware of this. And one of the, the, the most popular replies on that particular conversation was Michigan fans saying, cutting corners, defecting blame, and turning a scandal into a court battle. How much more American can you be? Um, but, Nate, I know uh, you also had your hand up. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I think for me, I think it was kind of like, I'm not defending Michigan. They cheated, and, and, you know, it's people that are upset about that, deserve to be upset about it. But I, I think that and everyone saying they haven't played anybody, like, or do they even deserve to be here? And then um, I think him just being an African-American coach, and, and we know in a sport that's predominantly African-American players, how often do you to win a big game, something like that, which, you know, could help him potentially get a uh, head coaching job in, in the future, so... I think it was just him, like, big of a moment. It was, you know, for him and the players more so. And, again, yes, you know, um, you know the, the relationship he has with Harbaugh, uh, you know, whether they, he, he knows about all of that. So that, that, that was kind of my take on it, what I saw. Mm-hmm. Colson, how about you? Uh, I think a big part of this is really uh, motivation. Everybody in football is always looking for a way to mo- motivate, get that bulletin board material. Um, top teams, you know, n- you always see, hear Nick Saban talk about, uh, what is it, the rat poison. Um, I think this is, a, you know, Michigan and their coaching staff trying to keep the team motivated and keep them going through this whole thing, through this whole ordeal. And also um, – the Jim Harbaugh America's team thing. I, I don't want to hear anybody saying they're America's team unless they are James Madison. James Madison is absolutely America's team. Oh, James Madison. We, we, I, I feel bad. We barely brought them up this uh, today only because at one point I mentioned Liberty as being an undefeated team. And of course, James Madison, how, Oh my gosh, it's, it's worse than forgetting about Dre. I can't believe I, f- I forgot to bring them up. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Hey John, you've been super patient. Um, what's going on? Hey man, how you doing tonight? 
I'm good. Thank you. Hey, um, well, first of all, I like to say Old Dominion uh, University is really America's team, and no one can tell me anything differently because we suffer like the rest of the country suffers on a daily basis. Um, so I, I know I'm a little late, so I just want to ask real quick: um, Have we has anything been discussed about uh, Annie Avalos uh, tonight? No, because Boise State's actually the one. You know, I wonder if Boise State letting go of him is one of the reasons why suddenly we got San Diego State announcing the retirement of Brady Hope. Yeah, and so I, and so that's why I want to ask because I, you know, I, I don't follow you know the Mountain West too closely, so I'm very confused of how a coach with a very good record. I know they're five and five this year, but I mean they're pre, you know, you know, only three years in, dismissing a coach for you know, I, well, I think it's a pretty good performance in the G five level. So I'm just kind of curious what, on your thoughts and maybe the group's thoughts on maybe on why this, uh, why you know why this happened. With Boise State, I, I I do. While this doesn't seem that bad, if you think of them as more of a general generic G five program, Boise State's had such an incredible run with so many head coaches. I mean, uh, ever since because I mean, I remember when Carter was there, Dirk Carter, uh, before he took the Arizona State job, followed by Dan Hawkins, who did stellar there. Before he had that unfortunate tenure at Colorado, which ended up being a trend for a lot of head coaches who ended up in Colorado. Um, he's now successfully, he's been at UC Davis and been doing pretty damn well down there. Um, followed by Chris Peterson, who I think is the point. Dan Hawkins kind of built what they had, at least the one, the team that we knew uh, you know, back in the, in the aughts. Um, and then Chris Peterson not only ran with it, but improved on it. Um, and so that kind of run in particular made the expectations at Boise State where they are now. And, and, and it's a tremendous expectation there. But I think they get that, and they've always had to kind of fight. Because, I mean, Boise State also, you know, gets, I believe, an even slightly larger cut of the pie in the Mountain West because of what they've been able to bring in, because of the attention they've been able to bring to that program. And Brian Harson, I mean, they were impatient with Brian Harson. Like, they were not utterly disappointed when Auburn made that ill-fated gamble on bringing him down to the plains because you know harson you know he did fine there but he didn't have the same level of, of winning streak you know i mean he was winning what like you know almost he was winning over 75 percent of his games and, and even then you know the uh, the boise state faithful were still a little bit impatient with him because they thought you know it had been even higher stakes for uh probably even higher uh numbers for peterson and hawkins but i think avalos he it I think this was a make-or-break season for him, and, and he, they just I understand why they didn't give him as much patience, only because, you know, 10-4 and four last season was okay, was all right. I mean, it sounds we weird to say that, right? But 5-5, five and five, I mean, it had been so long since they had done so badly in the, uh, uh, just as a record, that the, it just wasn't up, and they ran out of patience um, there. And I'm curious to see who they'd go to next. I wonder if Boise State can maintain the success that they'd had before, but certainly um, it makes it interesting with San Diego State suddenly in the market because I think in the Mountain West, those are two of the more interesting jobs, two of potentially the more desirable jobs, just historically speaking. San Diego State, because you're in San Diego and you, you're in the middle of that California hotbed and they've built a brand new shiny stadium. Although, granted, San Diego State is a little bit in... They've, it's been a tough season for them because think about it. At the beginning of July, it sounded like they were going to be the next member of the Pac-12 to replace USC and UCLA. They thought they were on the top of the world. They were in that awkward thing where, where um, and we've, how soon we've forgotten. They, they, they tell the Mountain West that, hey, we're probably leaving, 
but, you know, hey, we'd like to still be in the Mountain West. And the Mountain West said, no, no, we heard that you just said you want to leave. So we're now kicking you out of the conference or we're acting like you're leaving the conference. All that brouhaha started. And then to the horror of everybody, they watched the Pac-12 explode. Um, because that, that was a problem for both the conference of the big mountain West, because they would certainly be raided and the, uh, and San Diego state, which got stuck with a head coach with a boring offense who wasn't able to pack that stadium. But, uh, I see a couple of hands up, Nate and John, and then I'd love to have the water boy chime in. Cause I know he's, uh, he's got some strong views on actually San Diego state and especially Michigan. I'm going to mix it up again real quick, Bob. Um, Billy Napier at Florida. Um, obviously having a rough year. And then, um, you know, quickly he has at Missouri and Florida State left for the rest of his schedule. How long do you think he coaches at Florida? And um, if they give him another year next year, do, you know, does he get fired in the middle of the season? I, you know, he's going to go 0 and 2 um, after, you know, next weekend and the following. I just think it's going to be a really hard uh, sell once um, we go midseason with Billy, and then uh, just thinking ahead, you know, like where who who replaces that, you know? You know, the, with Billy Napier, I think the the thing that might help him a little bit here is the fact that um, is the fact that you know now we know that there's other big head coaching spots coming up because I mean previously we knew you know it's not as as high profile but we knew Michigan State was obviously available but now suddenly Texas A&M is available and who else is going to suddenly throw their hat into the market so I wonder if they're willing to also just give him that that third season and then yeah have that finger on the button midway if they need to be the first big team historically you know national championship caliber team to to fire the head coach um but I'd be curious to see if they're willing to, to risk jumping into a market that might get crowded with crazy Texas A&M money out there as well uh, <laughs> going for candidates. John, what was your thought? I know we've had a couple of topics here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just, uh, you know, let's respond back to uh, about the Boise State conversation. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious to see, too, you know, if they're actually able to, you know, keep this um, this revolving door of great coaches in and out. And so I'm really, I'm, it makes, you know, if I, I'll be honest, if I, you know, I'm a Boise State fan personally. I, I'd be a little nervous. I, I, I'm, I'll be honest. I would kill for a coach to win 10, <laughs> 10 wins last year. So it's just, it's just crazy from as another as a fan from another G five program. Seeing you know someone get looked out for that. Um, one last thing. Um, I know we uh, people are skeptical about Michigan being America's team, but I want to say that CFB Talk is America's Twitter space, and no one can tell me differently. <laughs> you don't have to kiss my butt that much. I appreciate <laughs> it though. All right, hey. Uh, Let's see. Uh, uh, Colson, I want to get to you in a second, but the water bowl, you've been super patient. What's going on, man? Uh, three topics. First, Boise State. So when you go to the Mountain West Media Days, you can feel from like the other media, the expectations at Boise State are very different than the, the rest of the, the Mountain West teams. And that is the, those expectations is basically what got their coach fired. The craziest thing, though, is Boise State can still win the Mountain West. Uh, if they went out and they get the right loss or two, they'll be in the Mountain West uh, Conference title game. So literally they could fire their coach with two games to go and still win the, the conference. Um, as far as Michigan, 
you know, I, I'm, it's like watching like, uh, almost like political theater. You see all the ESPN media telling everyone that, uh, the cheating scandal is the, is the worst thing ever. And then you see the Fox sports uh, side and they're basically like on the opposite end. It's, it's really not that big of a deal. Uh, it, it happens all over the place and you know, we're making mountains out of, out of molehill, you know, mountains out of molehills and, when you just kind of look at it from like afar, it almost feels like it's like, like it's like politics. It's, it's so it's, you know, it's a money driven thing from the two entities that have all the money in college football. And then San Diego state. Oh, thank goodness. You know, if I'm mad at Michigan, it's because they sent Brady Hoke back in his uh, retirement, AKA uh, please leave. And, and, and let's find a way to pay you out over time. It was so desperately needed. he, you know, his first in at San Diego State, the credit really was the defense, which was Rocky Long. And then him replacing Rocky Long, his first that really good year was just kind of the coattails of Rocky Long. And every year we've gone down, and that offense is just the passing game so bad. I mean, last year we had a backup safety come in to be quarterback because the quarterbacks couldn't quarterback. Just <laughs> we need a fresh start, and I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Hey, Colson, I see your hand up. What What's your thoughts right now? Yeah, I just wanted to uh, spin back to Billy Napier real quick. Uh, I was a student at Florida for a couple years, and so I've seen some of these teams in person. And let me tell you, the the Utah game la- last year um, really got people excited and really thought, you know, Billy Napier was going to turn things around quick. But uh, over the last two years, it's really gone downhill really fast. Um, and I think that's due to Billy Napier's reluctance to hire an offensive coordinator. Um, he's been calling a lot of the, he's been calling all the plays and uh, his, to be honest, his offense is pretty stale. Although the offense has been steadily improving this year, Graham Mertz has played really good and they do have some young um, playmakers in Trevor Etienne and uh, Eugene Wilson has come on really well um, in the last few weeks. And uh, Ricky Pearsall is just an absolute animal, but um and you obviously have DJ Lagway coming in next year, but the schedule next year is just absolutely brutal. Maybe one of the hardest college football schedules I've ever seen. You got to play Florida State, uh, Miami, and UCF all in the non-conference. You get the Florida gauntlet, and then just the SEC gauntlet of Tennessee, Georgia, LSU, uh, all those teams. It's it's going to be really tough. I, I see maybe four wins on this, and. Although he may not deserve it, Billy will probably get fired next year. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the classic, like right before this next season, he, he changes maybe some of the coach, the assistant staff just to try and you know make that Hail Mary that maybe it was just sort of one one or two things, one or two tweaks might get them better. But yeah, I'm curious to see that. And, and thank you for your opinions on that. That was really interesting. You know, we have one other folk uh, up here. Uh, let's see here. Nazir, what's going on? Nothing much. Uh, Reddit College Football. I love everything that's going on. I don't know if you talked about this. I saw you tweet about it earlier, but what's your thoughts on Eric Dooley, the head coach of Southern University, getting fired today officially, even though they have a potential chance to win a swag with Alcorn going down to Texas Southern and laying an egg. Alcorn really laid an egg that game. And then you look at PV. This basically has going down in Swag West. If Alcorn loses to Jackson and PV loses and Southern were to potentially win, they would be playing in a sweat championship against Tallahassee. Now, um, and Tallahassee against FAMU. Now, we know FAMU from SWAC and HBC football, FAMU is probably going to win and go on to 
the Celebration Bowl representing the swag. But what's your thoughts based on that? Because I thought Dooley, even though he was calling the plays on offense and it was getting very predictable, it was still very early in swag for that to happen. Yeah, you know, and whenever you see the uh, whenever you see a team do that, because we were kind of talking about that earlier, because uh, with with Boise State, their decision to fire their head coach. I mean, technically, Boise State is also in the race for the Mountain West, but they, they needed that change. Now, I I was surprised we saw a swag firing this early on. It just, especially again, the team isn't you know on fire or anything where it's like you know because there have been a couple of, of of uglier examples right now, at least in the D two level. In, in HBCU football where some coaches have been fired and it seems like they were just making, you know, the, the administration got tired of their complaints. I wonder, do, do you think they have somebody already? I mean, because that, that's the thing. When you fire somebody this early in the cycle, I mean, there's I always think there's two avenues. Is And, and it's something that's come up even with Jimbo, a very different, you know, uh, budget situation there. Like, are you firing them this early because you have somebody already in mind and you just want to get them there to make sure you know, there's a seamless transition to the record, probably the recruiting and the portal and all the things that that make college football almost a, an all year round kind of situation. Or is it that uh, is it that you're just trying to get your name out there that hey, this is going to become available? You know, Ski Mask Smurfy, I know you have your hand up, and I know you have thoughts on this. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, we've talked about it here a few times. HBCU sports, HBCU sports have, especially football, been in like a very weird place. With the firing of the head coach at FAMU, it, it makes really makes no sense outside of more than likely having administration problems. And then also the fact that if they do win the swag and just went up, more than likely they even just they might even skip the celebration bowl and do the um and do the actual playoffs like they did a, like they did a couple of years ago. But yeah, if he's getting fired, it's probably something on the administration side and. After that point, there's nothing to do about it. I mean, I even posted in the actual Reddit about what happened at my D2 school. And, yeah, a lot of things behind the scenes happen that just get out of hand. And that's, and that's really disheartening. I'm sorry. Um, that's really disheartening because it's like, you know, D2 this year, HBCU football really went, you know, they really did very well. You've seen um, Tuskegee and multiple schools such as Bowie State go down and defeat the um, – the D1 versions of the HBCU. So it's just a lot going on. It's very disheartening to see that. Part of me wonders, like, how much of this have expectations been just risen in the past couple of seasons? I mean, is this, I, I, and I don't want to keep saying, because I'm, I mean, obviously Dion's no longer at Jackson State, and, and I don't want to overstate, you know, necessarily the impact he had, but. Seeing what he did there, and then some of the excitement that's generated around programs across the country, has that also raised expectations where maybe people are a little programs are a little more impatient? I mean, could that be some of the factors, especially with you know a more established HBC program like like Southern? Like, because I mean, I, I'm ex- <laughs> imagine if they went out Prairie View A and M in Grambling in the Bayou Classic. Like, there's so many thoughts that I have here that I, I agree. I'm I'm surprised they they decided to pull that trigger so fast. And speaking on that, I believe that with Dion, it really sped up the process because um, I I really believe what happened with every other school with that decision was, you know, Grambling. Coach Fives, I was going to say he's a bad coach. You know, he led us to a Celebration Bowl win. It was just, it was getting very repetitive. I mean, you had a D1 bounce back, uh, Elite 11 quarterback with DeMonte Kincaid. You get Martez Carter, you get... Um, 
Simmons from well yeah, Anthony Simmons from Mississippi State, when you get those D one bounce back guys and you put them in the right system, they're always they're gonna do good. And when you see what Dion did and not only with the transfer portal, but also with recruiting, getting five star kids to come look at an HBCU and say, I'm gonna go to Jackson. Um with HBCUs, you gotta look at the resources. The resources that HBCUs, they're outdated. Um, they are extremely outdated. So for Dion to come in with his contract, when you really look at his contract, he didn't even make a million dollars. But it, what he made his money off of was ticket sales. But he was able to do brand deals like how he's doing right now with um, Affleck, you know, and use his face and exposure to build around Jackson. Now with Graham, now what I will say about HBCUs, we have lots of land and opportunity, but the money is a big thing. So for Dion to just come in and all of a sudden just flip Jackson State from a a lower SWAC East team to a perennial powerhouse, that's what changed the the time clock, I believe, for all HBCUs. And it started to become, well, when are we going to get our Dion? And they're starting to see the effects of it now to where Dion was able to do what he does because, and this is why I always say, I'm, if you can't tell my name, my dad's African. And it's like Dion's known all around the world. The coaches that we're getting now is they're known coaches in the football world, but they're not international household star names. Excuse me, Ask Murphy. I see your hand up. I'd like to let you hop in. Yeah, I would like to say HBCU is sort of basing what they want their coaches to do now off of what Dion was able to do. Is I've, I've heard of a few, and I'm trying to do that. And it's just it's one of those things you can't really replicate because Dion is a in terms of sports, period, because he played football and baseball, he's a complete enigma. Like, he's nicknamed primetime for a reason. So he's able to do things that other people just aren't able to do, especially considering, you know, like, he almost destroyed college football and upset the power balance of being the first non-FBS program to recruit the number one player in the nation in Travis Hunter. And if they think other coaches can just replicate that, it's just not a thing that can happen. And then them looking at Jackson State and seeing what Dion is able to do with who Dion is and thinking other coaches can just be brought in and not given resources as they've been held back for a very long period of time. As we saw follows with Ed Reed and um, and other high-profile coaches that came in, it's just not going to be able to be done. I mean, I believe um, Eddie George has done a decent turnaround with turnaround Tennessee State, but if they're thinking everyone's just going to be able to beat Dion and do those kinds of things, it's just not going to happen. I mean, my school my school thought they would be able to just have a coach come in and do things, and it's like, well, you brought him in after recruiting season and didn't give him a strength and conditioning program. You're just not going to be able to succeed. It's, it's more than just bringing a face. You have to truly build a program the same way Eddie Robinson did. It takes time. Absolutely. Um, let's see here. We're, we're now going in uh, just on a time check. It's now been going for a little over an hour and 20 minutes. Typically, I try to wrap these up after about 90 uh, during the season, just for my own sanity. Uh, but, you know, I want to go through, just hit a couple of lighter notes. Um, you know, I, I get a kick out of, you know, there's a lot of things that have been going on this week. Two of the lighter ones that came up today, the Bahamas Bowl had to move to Charlotte because apparently the stadium in Nassau, in the Bahamas, had to get repairs done. So it's out of commission for like two years. And I guess that's just, you know. The, the the speed things get done on on the islands, but so it's going to be in Charlotte, and they apparently they're playing at the uh, the UNC Charlotte, so the aka the Charlotte Forty ers Stadium. 
it's going to be now called the Famous Toastery Bowl. Because um, apparently there's a chain called Famous Toastery, one of the uh, one of the more awkward names I've ever heard. Um, the quote that people jumped on was the Famous Toastery Bowl is a perfect showcase for those who are not quite familiar with the Famous Toastery and the, and the city of Charlotte, um, which I guess means that they're not that Famous, but um, one of the more awkward bowl names. But there you go. We're gonna we're gonna have fair, fa famous toastery action because that's typically one of the first bowls. So the other one is the military bowl. Um, apparently signed a deal, so it's going to be now called the military bowl, presented by GoBowling.com. Uh, GoBowling.com. I guess it's for finding bowling alleys. It's one of the strangest things I've ever seen. You know, um, I believe one of the Reddit users Fanta Yellow pointed out this website looks like it's a front. For a money laundering scheme. Um, and I guess they've sponsored NASCAR races, uh, but to this day, no one is entirely sure what they do. So again, on a lighter note, um, that was one of those thoughts that came out there. Um, one of the other uh, kind of interesting things, again, we, we touched a little bit on the fact that Chip Kelly appears like he might be out, um, which I, I, I wonder if it's news to him. I mean, they still have a game to go. Uh, UCLA at US versus USC is always a good rivalry. We'll see how that goes. Um, can USC stop this bleeding? Who knows? Who knows what's going on there? Um, we also wanted to mention, uh, in all the, the sadness of this week, apparently, uh, Shador Sanders, Rolls Royce got booted. That was one of those stories that, uh, that also hit the, uh, it read it pretty hard. I see a couple of hands up. Cause I guess some of these topics got some of y'all talking here, uh, thinking here, let's see here. I apologize. I'm going to go into the order. I see the hands cause I did not see when they went up. John, what's your thought? I'm just outraged. There's no chess.com bowl this year. I mean, the whore, the whore, but man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, I mean, how cheap are bowls that some of these, these sponsors are popping up here? Like, uh, and I mean, to be fair, I, I do know somebody who was at, I don't want to say the sponsor, but one of the, the major bowl sponsors, at least at the time. And he said, when I, cause I, I asked him, my thought was when the playoff appeared, did this devalue a lot of these bowls in terms of, how much they could ask for for a sponsor. And he said, yes, absolutely. Suddenly, six of the Bulls became, uh, and the playoff became very attractive to uh, sponsors. And so they wanted to get their names on those Bulls. But every other Bull suddenly became a lot less valuable because they figured, oh, people are going to not pay attention to them as much. So there was a little bit of shuffling for those initial years of, of sponsors moving from one game to supposedly even a higher profile game because, frankly, the prices went down. Um, so yeah, no, now at this point, I'm like, well, how much are these lower end bowls? Yeah, but who, as was fake, like, can we, can we, can we group fundraise and see if we get our own bowl? You know, God, okay, I'm gonna just <laughs> one last thing on this topic because I remember, um, gosh, in 2013 14, we actually talked about trying to do a uh, RCFB like group, group GoFundMe or whatever. Like, I can't even remember what it, they were, what the popular kickstart or whatever to try and sponsor a bowl and i even got into some light conversations with some bowls i i can't bring up but i had a conversation with them and they said like well we could do this we actually talked about what it would require i think it was just too squirrely for them to to say like yeah let's let's have a um and a bowl sponsorship that relies on money that has not been raised yet um but uh we actually threw that around for a little while and it just it got too complicated and uh, you know that would have been a hell of a thing to try and pull off but ski mask murphy what what's on your thought um, yeah, since you said you want to switch things to some lighter notes, um, one of the things, uh, I guess it was a small press release that happened earlier today. Um, if you don't, people aren't aware, ESPN is now having its own uh, 
I guess, sports book. And so to the, earlier today, they announced basically all of the old Sports Nation's social media accounts from that show, they're all being turned into ESPN Bet. And most of those accounts have been dead for a little while, but still have about five to 10 million followers per platform. So if you're like a sports fan who's been following sports accounts for a while on social media, do not be alarmed if out of nowhere you just start seeing ESPN Bet advertisements come up because they they just took over they're just transferred a lot of accounts. Wow. <laughs> you know, there's so much money in that. It's absolutely nuts. So uh not surprised to see more of that happening. You know, um let's see here. Colson, I know you also had a thought you wanted to, to follow up on. Yeah, I uh I still think it's a crime that we got rid of the uh, Cheez Its Bowl last year and replaced it with the Pop Tarts Bowl. Um I honestly think that's genuinely a crime, especially with my favorite college football commercial still being the uh, I'm, I woke up feeling the cheesiest coach commercial that chills every time right up there with the BK commercial. I just think it's an absolute travesty that we don't get to see that every year not anymore. Y'all are Satan out there. That's all I got to say. I can't like, I, I'm always amazed at which, which commercials are popular because they drive me absolutely bad, but uh, I'm not going to finish that, but they drive me absolutely nuts. Um, some of those things, Nate, I know your hands up. Well, okay. Wait, wait, George. Wait. Oh gosh. I see both Nates had their hands up. Um, George and Nate, you can go first. We'll go to other Nate. Sorry. <laughs> Real quick. Um, ski mask or Bob, um, regarding that betting situation, didn't it get passed? Correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm, I'm looking for more information here. I thought it was a federal, uh, passing where, the sports betting was allowed and then it was to be governed by the States to instill um, sports betting. And then at that point, I guess my question is, does it then become a state issue if you can establish uh, betting within the state, um, you know, to set up however you want to do that or, or did that get turned over or do you guys know or anybody? I'm going to fully admit I'm not as super up and up on the the state-by-state state rules for gambling. I know a lot of it is, as you pointed out, state-by-state state regulations, and it's an extremely regulated industry to the point where I can't imagine the amount of billables you get if you are helping um, arrange some of these for some of these companies. But um, I know I wouldn't be surprised if, it, if it's left to the states. That's one where I could see that, that the states get that opportunity to regulate it. But um, Yeah, I, f I feel like it was like uh, two or three years ago, uh, right, ar right around that like range. And I guess we could all Google it. But I was just, you know, since we're on that topic, I just threw it out there. But I think it was like two or three years ago, it was a federal law where sports betting could happen. And then once that got put in place, um, then it became a state law where you could um, – officially bet but if you look at like say DraftKings, i bring it up because if you look at DraftKings or you look at some of the other betting sites they have disclaimers at the bottom that list the states that allow right, it. right 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 yes yeah. and so friends of mine that i'm you know that live in different states you know we i try to bring them into groups and we do all this stuff and then some of them say oh i can't do it because of my state and i'm like ah, i thought it was a federal law and then you see the advertisements that are becoming more and more prevalent as you watch a game or on television um i guess it's still maybe a federal law but the the states have to approve whether or not you can do it i guess would be my, no, my small interpretation right, the, yeah yeah i think you absolutely are, are dead on accurate with that only because of, of that that exception 
You know, I know also other Nate, uh, Nate Adolf, sorry, you had your hand up. What, what did you want to add here? And then I have one other person who's up here that will also get a chance to, to chime in. Yeah, so I'll just put Jordan Davis talking about. So I, I currently live in Colorado, and I, but I, I'm from Texas originally. And so, yes, federally, it's, it's not illegal to uh, bet and gamble anymore, but it is up to the states. So, like, I have the DraftKings app, and so I can use it while I'm in Colorado. But if I go to a state that doesn't allow it, 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 it knows my location and it doesn't let me, I can't do anything on it. So you just have to be in a state that you can, that you're allowed to gamble in. Um, so yeah, there's been a couple of times where like I travel for a wedding and I'm like, Oh, like it's Saturday. Like, let me get something in. And I can't, <laughs> um, Got but, it. yeah, what I actually wanted to bring up was, uh, um, when you're talking about the bowl games was um, have they already decided the, the expanded playoff who's like what bowl games those are connected to, or is that to be determined still? Gosh, I thought they have actually announced that it is. It, I know they have that sorted out. I don't have it in front of me, but I do know they have some idea, at least of the, uh, um, at least of those final bowl games, which ones are going to be in. And I, I apologize. I don't have it in front of me, but I know we got months and months ago, uh, talked about it. Not, I'm not saying that in the like, why weren't you around months and months ago? But I know it, it has been sorted out. Um, Ski Mask Smurfy, I know your hand is up. And then I'd love to have uh, Depressed, or probably Andy, good times. You can be next. Yeah, I was just going to say that they, they do have the 12 team playoffs sorted out. It's basically going to alternate between the already New Year's Six games. But I think they have instead of set the first round games can be hosted at the discretion of who the home team is. So whoever whoever the home team is, is um, they can host it at home. But I think they're still waiting to see if some of the conferences may set it up that when their team gets in, it gets hosted at a particular sort of bowl game location for like more money or neutral site stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And they, I know they were working out exactly that, that for those first round home games, especially with some of those details. Let's see here. I want to allow... Uh, to hear depressed American University and a good times. What's going on, man? All right. I was first, you know, talk about Nate's points. All you have to do is just get a VPN and you're good. No need to have to worry about which state you're in. I'm in North Carolina right now. And I mean, that it's, it's currently in the legislature, but it's still illegal. And, you know, enough people find a work away around it. It's not hard. But my question for you is, I don't know if you saw the um, Reddit about how Jimbo Fisher's firing is can be correlated to the rise in oil prices in stock because of what's going on geopolitically over in the Middle East. So what geopolitical events have to happen for the Tar Heels to buy out Gene Chizik's contract? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was wondering what direction that was going to go. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Which oh, dude, like, that oh. is one of the funniest <laughs> comments. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, am I going to have to break out my international relations degree? Am I going to have to just pretend we didn't actually hear that question? I'm like, where are we going to go with this? Um, Do it, Bob. So, <laughs> break it out. <laughs> you know, but no. Oh gosh, North Carolina. Like, <laughs> so wow. You really you want to you want you know North Carolina has been so frustrating this season because you know again Drake May. Solid quarterback, and it, it feels like we've stopped talking about him because, again, the team just kind of – it hasn't done awful, but it just kind of fell off the map. And, you know, it, it's one of those those frustrating things I can't imagine. So I assume you're a North Carolina fan, by the way. I'm an alumnus, yeah. Yeah. So, 
So is that what you think the next is that your solution for the program? They should they should uh, eject Chizik. I mean, you've had even before that, you went straight from Sam Howell to Drake May, and I mean, there are programs that dream every day to get just one of those guys in there for twenty in a twenty year span, and you have back to back game changing quarterbacks, and you just have defenses. I don't know if you saw that Georgia Tech game. I mean, they couldn't start it. They couldn't stop a JV team, and I mean, you have to. You're getting the recruits. They're just not playing as a team, and you have to look. At That's what I was going to ask real quick. Um, when you saw how UNC was ranked beginning of the year, and then they lost to Georgia Tech, I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Probably, probably top five biggest shock game I would say of the year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they just can't stop anyone on defense. That's the reality. They should. They should start a uh, a kind of a. A group chat with LSU and uh, and USC and just kind of all commiserate about man, we have great quarterbacks and and some damn good offense, but boy, what <laughs> defense? What is that? Yeah. But I sympathize with you, man, and I, and we'll see how that works out because you know I I think he, hmm, man, I, I don't know is, is that is that going to be the answer and, and would Mac Brown do it? Because again, it's been exciting to see UNC good, but man, this is frustrating. It is absolutely frustrating for those folks and. And we sympathize with that. You'll see, I see a couple of hands up, and I think I'll slowly start wrapping us up after that. Nate, I see your hand up, and then uh, we'll get to Ski Masks Murphy. Yeah, I want to go back to the, the whole oil comment. So funny that you uh, said that. So one of my good friends, uh, like I said, I've got a lot of Aggie friends. Uh, his uncle actually um, has his name on one of the new football buildings at, in, uh, in College Station. And so we've always been poking fun at him this past season about, hey, like, Tell your uncle he's got to write that check, write that check to get rid of Jimbo. And so we talked about actually, because he's involved in the oil industry, is uh, actually getting the oil prices to jack up so they'd have the money to uh, actually get rid of Jimbo. So I don't <laughs> know if that's what happened or not, but <laughs> it's, it's been discussed. Oh, my goodness. Could you imagine that? That would be the funniest thing. Oh, my gosh. Like, so get some real greenwashing going. Get some of the Middle Eastern oil money coming in there, too. You know, suddenly the... Uh, you know, LIV college football or whatever, you know, bull. Um, but <laughs> Ski Master Murphy, what's going on? Let's let, let's wrap this up and let, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, with the talk about UNC disappointment and then Jimbo Fisher leaving, let's just complete the cycle of chaos and just send Matt Brown to Texas A and M. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that would that, you know, he, he would be absolutely that would be that would be chaos for everyone involved. And that would be Glorious, especially with Texas coming into the SEC. Um, <laughs> you know, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this up here. We've been going on for about an hour and 40 minutes. Tuesday nights, we like to always hear from you and have these conversations. My name's Bob Akairi. This is RCFB Talk 165. This automatically turns into a recording if you want to hear the beginning. And we'll eventually get this up wherever you get your podcasts, just so that it'll be timelessly available. But um, on behalf of all of us, I wanted to thank everyone who joined us. I love hearing from all of you and, and hearing your thoughts on college football. Um, we'll go ahead and wrap this up here. Now I'm a hang up.